Welcome to The Back Shop, a podcast about the concepts and practice of media with a focus on its impact on society. Each week, we cover ideas about the theories, concepts, and history that have driven media development. We will also keep an eye on how new technologies are changing traditional ways of getting information at a time when democracy needs our engagement more than ever. This is The Back Shop. I'm your host, Jeremy Lata, an associate professor of journalism and communication at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Last time we talked about gatekeeping theory, and today um, we're going to take on our second major theory in my field, which is probably the most famous and well and possibly over-researched theory in my field, which is agenda setting. Just as a bit of context, uh, my field is not particularly old. Um, it's In fact, it's less than 100 years, depending on how you date it, um, in terms of its research um, and scholarship. Mass communication and journalism research tends to borrow from uh, the fields of sociology and psychology, um, from history, um, and, and a few other disciplines. It's a very interdisciplinary field in that regard. And um, the early days of mass comm research were often looked for what we call strong media effects. And what that means is that the the, the people who were who were early on trying to think and, and put in, put um, markers down for scholarship about what this uh, what this business of mass communication looks like, were trying to to find examples in media and argue uh, at a meta level that media have very very powerful effects on on what we what we think and what we do. Um, from a pure justify your existence standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but it also, I think it was an intuitive belief that I would say probably almost bordered on urban legend, you know, in our field that, that you know, people just kind of assume that we use a lot of this stuff. And so it must be it must be having powerful effects on us. And a lot of early research found this wasn't true, um, that it, you could expose people to different types of media and they would not change their behavior all the time, or they would not necessarily agree with everything that they read or think or do. And that should make also some intuitive sense in 2019, um, where, you know, you, you get exposed to an advertisement. You don't necessarily like that product. You don't necessarily believe you want to buy it. Um, you may not even agree with the message. So this idea that that media can, can really make us think certain things. Um, this is often referred to as the, um, the hypodermic needle effect, um, where, you know, we, we, the media is just injecting ideas and thoughts and beliefs into your brain. Um, and, uh, it's, it's something that is not true. So that's a strong media effect. You know, if media is, it media becomes all powerful in that, that, uh, type of setup. Um, we got away from, thinking about media in terms of uh, strong media, direct effects um, in the 1950s and 60s. Um, there's a vein of research that emerged from called uses of gratifications, and I will touch on that in a later, later episode, but I want to come back to where we started to come back to direct effects, and that's because of some work that was done in the early 1970s by um, two, two uh, researchers named Max McCombs and Donald Shaw. Um, they were the first to document um, an agenda-setting effect that be eventually became agenda-setting theory. And just as a review, theory t stands the test of time. It's not just a one-off study that you find and you find a, um, a, a relationship between A and B, um, but is, uh, is able to also be replicated and explained. It explains some larger phenomenon in media. 
So agenda setting theory uh, found that um, there was a very, very strong correlation uh, that had never been documented before between um, how audiences thought about the importance of different events happening in society and what the news was covering. What McCombs and Shaw did was use a telephone survey to ask people all over the United States um, to list their, their top issues, things that were going on in the country that they felt was most important um, and needed the most attention um, from our political leaders and such. And they compiled a bunch of responses and came up with a, a top list. And then what they did on the back end was do what's called, what we call a content analysis. And what that does is uh, take, they took a look at the, um, the front pages of major media over the, the selected time um, during which the survey was out and, and a little bit before that. And then they compared the results of that content analysis. And that is if something made the front page of the New York Times or the Washington Post, then that was something that people were more likely to see. Um, and there was also a kind of a, a working assumption in the background that if it made the front page of the New York Times and Washington Post, and then it was going to be something that trickled down to regional and then local news organizations over time. Um, and also that wire services were more likely to cover those stories if they were making major uh, national media. So what they found was this very strong correlation between um, what the news was covering and what people thought was important. And notice that it's not a case of thinking um, uh, that the way in which that news was covered, it, it completely shapes the way they see um, the news in terms of who they believe or what they think and believe. It's more just a case of getting people to see an issue as important. And so a genocide um, is a media-centered theory that explains the media's effect on people's ability to um, to decide what is important. Um, it argues for strong media effects, but not in the hypodermic needle theory mindset um, of telling people what to think and believe. Instead, what it says is that um, when the press covers something, not just once, but as a me matter of volume, you know, that uh, if you think about the classic thing that was happening in the 1970s, for example, Watergate, um, Watergate was not a one-off story that ran one day. It was, a, it was a series of stories that were being covered, sometimes multiple stories on the front page on the same day. And so the, the media's role in that setup is to transfer um, salience to the public, and that is by elevating news to the front page and doing it a lot. Um, when, you st when somebody f flips on the, uh, the newscast and they're seeing the same types of stories being covered, on the evening newscast um, that they read in their newspaper that morning, the public takes that as a cue that this is something that we should be um, we should be paying attention to. And so uh, Bernard Cohen um, had a really great quote I use in my classes. He says, the press may not be successful much of the time in telling people what to think, but it is stunningly successful in telling its readers what to think about. Um, Genesetting theory is not saying that the media is a mind control system. It, it is saying that the news um, in aggregate has a, a big impact on um, how the public comes to see some issues important and some not. Um, we are, uh, you know, daily being subjected to a lot of different types of news that's coming to us from a lot of different types of sources. The early work on a genesetting was really dealing with the days where with a powerful press 
and a powerful evening news um, format and and some radio. But you know, the the internet has also taken this and um, just increased the number of sources at us. So there is a there's there's a the very difficult. Um, way to avoid it's it's I'm sorry it's very difficult to avoid media, um, and so um, media plays a powerful role in getting us to think about things. Just as a quick exercise um, for you, I want you to think about um, two, three, four things that you feel like are are the most important issues facing the country. And I'll give you a couple seconds. You can pause if you want, um, and I'll give you a couple seconds to maybe think about those and just write them down. And then with that list, I'd like you to go to the front page of, um, start with national media, CNN.com, NewYorkTimes.com, uh, WashingtonPost.com, Wall Street Journal. Um, or after doing that, take a look at your state, your, your, um, your, your state source, um, your regional source. If you're in a different country, obviously some of your issues, your, um, your issues are going to line up differently. And how many of those things on your list are there? Um, you'll probably find most of them in some way or another. Maybe not the exact way you phrase them, but um, when I do this with my class, for example, they will mention a specific story um, about um, our military over in uh, um, Afghanistan or something like that. And Afghanistan may not be in the news, but that is part of a much broad, broader arc of um, coverage about the, our, our global fight against terror. And so... Um, that that is a way in which that story will pop up, even if the specific thing that they're saying is important will not. So, um, you know, for right now, as I'm recording this, the impeachment hearings are happening in Washington D.C., and you know, you might be listing the the impeachment testimony of a particular person, and that may not be there if it's faded from the day's news, because Lord knows this news cycle is is going uh, like a constant, nonstop stream. But you should be able to find um, news about impeachment itself. So. Um, that, that's, that's an agenda setting effect. Now it doesn't, doesn't necessarily tell you what to think. So that's, um, that is some of the, the follow-up work that was done on McCombs and Shaw's original work. So agenda setting theory, telling people, um, what to think about, um, is, is what we call the first level of agenda setting. There's a second level of agenda setting called attribute agenda setting. And what that does is if agenda setting tells us what to think about, um, the second level of agenda setting says the media also can influence how we think about it. And that is by, by elevating certain details um, or, or suppressing others um, or just the, way, the, the kind of approach you take to the same story, um, you can attach a type of um, what we call attribute salience to, um, to that particular issue. Um, so, for example, again, I'll, I'll take the impeachment hearings. Um, this is going to be horribly dated if you're listening to this in a year, perhaps. But um, the impeachment hearings that are happening on Capitol Hill, um, there are ways in which that news can be framed. There is a there is a fact of the matter that there are people testifying before Congress right now, and those those testimonies are happening, um, and and that is a, a solid, cold, hard fact, right? But the way in which different attributes can get attached to that that one fact can really influence the way the public thinks about it. So, for example, if the media uh, notes this as a partisan food fight that's happening right now with Republicans um, in the minority um, and Democrats running running hearings, um, and it's it's being seen as a partisan political argument, 
the pu- the public may take that as a cue and and begin to think about it as a, a not only as an important issue at the first level but the second level begin to think of it as um, it's framed in a, in a way that makes them think this is just a partisan food fight you know um, there's a, there's a lot of research in this about um, about the way women are covered for example um, they are t- they tend to be portrayed more likely in terms of their appearance, even powerful women. There's, there was a, a pretty well-documented vein of research after the 2016 election that further cements some of the things we know from media, media research that women candidates tend to get portrayed based on their looks. So, you know, women who um, make their uh, splashy announcement that, that they're running for, for political office, for example, and the stories will note um, what they were wearing as they went on stage. It's not an uncommon phenomenon. Um, whereas men just don't, have that attached to them at all. Um, on the flip side, men tend to be portrayed as um, in, in the same types of stories as being more decisive and, and so forth. Um, there's this can have second level agenda can have all kinds of impacts on the way we see um, um, uh, issues of gender and race and even even just uh, political partisanship. So what does this what does this all mean? It's important to be aware of. What the um, what the media is and is not doing um, to us and for us, and that is that one of the roles that the media then plays, and it's, and it's an important role, is the the news media's job is to select out the things that are are worth paying attention to to us. I mentioned gatekeeping theory last last episode, um, and we went into what that role looks like. So if you look at the the media's role as a gatekeeper. And that their job is to figure out what are the most important things my audience needs to know. Um, then the the output of that, the decisions that they make in the newsroom every single day in terms of determining what makes it through the gates and what does not, um, is a powerful role. And the 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 effect of that then is agenda setting, if that makes sense. That you. Um, you make decisions about what to cover, and then the public is going to pick up on that as a cue of what to what to think about and what to pay attention to. Um, so, if you connect gatekeeping and, and agenda setting together, then you can see already that the the argument for a very powerful media system. It doesn't mean that the media dictates to us or, or makes us believe things, but it does. It does mean that if you go back to what I was saying last time, that the, the journalist tends to see the gatekeeping role as very sacred because we, we kind of instinctively understand this power that we can, we can drive public discussion in certain directions. We can make the public pay attention to certain things and not to other things um, simply as a result of the volume of coverage that we produce across different news organizations. So that's that's a it's one piece of this is to is to connect those two um, those two theories together and it, it, it helps you kind of understand the role journalism is playing in a much larger larger vein. The second reason I, I talk about this is because it's important to understand this as an audience member. It might be easy to look at agenda setting as somewhat insulting that like who is the press to determine what I think about. Um, but I, I would, here's, here's what I would say is, is it's not necessarily the best and most perfect media system in the world, but it is important for us because there is the earlier work on agenda setting was, was again, back when there, we were dealing with three major platforms in media, um, print, radio, and television. 
and and think about what has happened in the last thirty years since where we the internet as the as a public entity came along and gave us all the ability to create our own news. Social media came along and gave us the ability to share our own news and and to to become our own agenda setters in, in some sense. And think about the chaos that emerges from a system like that um, when it's uncontrolled. And I'm not talking about control from a regulation perspective, but from the point of view of how do we sift through that waterfall of information that used to be a, a steady stream um, now is getting dumped on us as, um, as a result of our increased exposure to media through um, digital platforms and, and mobile. Um, but that's, uh, that's, that means that we need a, a type of guide. And so I, I think agenda setting theory is, is something that makes sense as in a way for us to make sense of society, you know, that we, we really literally could not be plugged into issues that are going on without somebody there um, to guide us. Now, the news media has traditionally been the one that has been tagged with that role in, in most research, but I can tell you that, that in recent years, um, scholars have started to look into other ways this process is starting to happen. So I mentioned social media. That's a really good example. We are, we are agenda setting for other people kind of in, in volume. If you think of the, um, the trending topics on, on Facebook or on Twitter, for example, those are examples of um, how the public can create its own agenda. And if you take a look through Twitter's trending topics and see what people are talking about, um, that is the, the public, not as individual decision makers, but as a group deciding what, what is something that's, that's popular right now. Um, we talk about this with tech platforms as well, that um, algorithms have a type of, uh, of agenda setting influence on us um, by virtue of what it elevates or what it does not. Um, trending topics is an algorithmic type of delivery. It's not doing pure counts. It's 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 surfacing things that um, a, a something on place, uh, Facebook or Twitter have deemed to be important. And so, the the technology companies do play a role in this. That's important, and it's um, it's important to be aware of that as well. Because what is coming at you every single day is not. Um, necessarily just a fire hose of things that are happening in order of the day. And I think, again, I think we would find that very chaotic. I think we'd find it un an unusable type of product to just have news kind of coming at us in the order that it happens and it's being produced. And we're just having to kind of decide what to pay attention to in the moment and not. That we need gatekeepers. We need, we need media to tell us this is something that matters. Um, and so we need those cues. So... One of the questions that I think is worth asking is, is, is if you go back and connect this to gatekeeping as I did before, is how does that, how does that agenda get built? You know, if, if genesis setting happens because of a repeated um, coverage of a particular issue or topic, then it's, it is necessary to go back and say, how does the news decide to build um, out what, is, um, what their coverage looks like that day and, and, and thus what is the most important stuff to pay attention to? Um, so it's not, it, this is not a, a, a letting the media off the hook um, with, with no accountability. It's not uh, even downplaying the role that they play um, on an everyday basis in terms of it just the way it's supposed to be. Um, we can be critical of this. We can, we could ask much harder questions about um, the, 
the, the role in which that, that news process then gets built and, and the way in which they cover it and, and the way that they in turn tell us what to think about and also how to think about those things. Now, this will get a little more complicated um, next time when we talk about framing because framing has some things in common with um, second level agenda setting, um, but there's a much wider vein of research that we will, we will talk about there that um, I th will even extend some of this discussion further and, and really start to, to take a look at um, what, what does a responsible press look like and uh, what role does it play if, it, if, these, if these effects are powerful, um, then how can we help them be better? So that's it for this time. We will uh, tackle framing theory next time. And as always, thanks for listening. Um, you can always find uh, show notes um, at, the, at backshoppodcast.com. Each episode is posted there. And I do have links to um, different types of research that I think are, are useful, interesting, um, that kind of touch on this, uh, these topics. Um, also, welcome your comments on Twitter. And, um, and thanks for listening again. We'll see you next time. The Backshop is a non-commercial podcast recorded and produced by Jeremy Latat at Lehigh University. Special thanks to Kaseki, whose music was used for this podcast and made available via Gemendo with a Creative Commons license. Thank you.